I've heard it said you steer where you stare. We are bombarded daily with voices vying for our attention. And if we fill our days and minds with Netflix and social media feeds, we can get off track pretty quick. That's why I developed a 30-day music challenge. Listen to Christian music exclusively for 30 days. The challenge is free, and I'll be right there with you every step of the way. Head over to michellenizette.com forward slash 30-day challenge to sign up. Change your music, change your life. You're listening to More Than a Song, episode 399. Welcome to this episode of More Than a Song. My name is Michelle Nizat, and this is the podcast dedicated to helping you discover the truth of Scripture, hidden in today's popular Christian music. My goal is to teach you to connect portions of God's Word with the songs you're singing along with on the radio, to help you meditate on truths that will transform your way of thinking and ultimately your life. I love it when my kids listen to Christian music on the radio and then send me suggestions with the scriptural connection already figured out. Of course, some songs are a little more obvious than others, like this week's song, Woman at the Well by Olivia Lane. So on my daughter Meredith's suggestion, we'll use this song to dive into scripture. But first, let's listen. song places the singer in the story of the woman at the well. Uh, the opening lyric, which I didn't play, says, I heard a story from the Bible when I was just a little girl about a broken-hearted woman who met the Savior of the world. Thought it was just another story, one that the preacher man would read, but as I'm sitting here at home drinking red wine all alone, I think that woman might be me. So the singer replaces the character in the story, and honestly, a lot of sermons do the same thing. The pastor will take out one of the characters in scripture and place us into that slot and then teach from that perspective. And while I think you can absolutely look at accounts in scripture as metaphors for truthful teaching, I want to challenge you to think differently as you approach scripture, especially if it's for the first time or the first time in a long time. It's in, it's really important that we know what uh, scripture says and means before we figure out what it means to us, and especially before we start putting ourselves into the scene. Most of the time, we put ourselves in the wrong place in the scene when we do that anyway. Uh, there's a time and place for that. I think in this particular situation, the song does a great job of doing that. But as you're inspired by this song, let's go back to the beginning of the text itself before we start placing ourselves in the scene. All right, so the account of the woman at the well can be found in John chapter 4. And as I approached this section of scripture this week, I used several bites to get started. Now, bites are Bible interaction tool exercises. And these are the very simple, very practical tools I use in my own study. Now, I didn't create them. Rather, I have curated them and I continue to do so as I grow in my own faith and interact with other believers. And I listen to sermons and I read books and I get ideas. But the bites that I sort of started off with uh, this week are read in context, 
Remember the people described in scripture were real. Repetition, start with God, and then finally compare and contrast. So long before I start wondering what scripture means to me, which by the way, we have been trained to believe is the normal starting point. Because almost everything we read is what's in it for me kind of uh, approach to it. So before I start wondering what scripture means to me, and even before I start wondering what it means at all, I want to know what it says. Do I really remember the details of the account? Do I know what happened before and after this account that I'm studying? And these questions can be answered by reading it for myself and reading in context. Now, I loosely define the context of an account like this as the chapter before, the chapter where the account lives, and the chapter after. So in our case, I read John chapters 3 through 5. But really, since it's so close to the beginning of the book of John, it was a good excuse for me to begin reading in John chapter 1. And if you really get into it, you can follow the bite of read and keep on reading. You know, don't worry about the details at this point. Just take in more scripture. But in John chapter 3, we read the account of Jesus in Jerusalem with Nicodemus, the religious leader who approached Jesus and had this stunning conversation with him about being born again and obtaining eternal life. And John chapter 3 also includes an account of misplaced loyalty in John the Baptist over Christ. And John's response to this is famously, he must increase, but I must decrease. So all of that happened in John chapter 3, heading into where our account, our focus account is in John chapter 4, where we read the details of Jesus and the woman at the well. Now, this chapter also includes Jesus healing an official's son with just a word from a distance. He never even lays hands on the kid. And then in John chapter 5, Jesus is back in Jerusalem. So he was in Jerusalem with Nicodemus, and now he's back. And he heals a man by the pool of Bethesda on the Sabbath, which led to further teaching by Jesus regarding his relationship with the Father and additional commentary about witnesses that verify the authenticity of Christ's person, role, and teaching. There's a lot going on just in the context, 3, 4, and 5, of our chapter 4 account. So as you read these accounts, don't forget that the people described are real. (laughs) They argue, they question, they get things right, they get things wrong. Uh, We'll see in our focus passage that they can be sarcastic or engaged. And I try to be really careful to call these accounts because when we call them stories, our brain tends to categorize them as fictional stories with fictional characters. But no, I mean, they were real, including Jesus. So just, you know, really read these accounts and and let it stick in your brain that these were real people. That's a, a huge bite that has helped me so much along the way. Now, if you are to follow my pattern this week, you will continue to read in context. Uh, you will read in context by reading at least John chapter 3 through 5. You will read remembering that the people described in Scripture were real. And now we're going to take the bite of reading repetitively. So I read John chapter 4 verses 1 through 42 several times over several days. So maybe that first day I read 3, 4, and 5, and then I hone in on 
39 uh, verses 1 through 42 in chapter 4. Now, some days I felt less distracted than others when I was reading. and uh, the, But the sheer, sheer act of reading repetitively helps you retain the overall story. You start to begin to see details that you might have previously overlooked and all of that. But it also gives you the grace. As I mentioned, sometimes you're more distracted than others. And so reading repetitively is is a grace, is a, is a grace-giving tool as well so that you can um, just over time retain a little bit more. All right, now one of my favorite bites to take in recent days, I've, I've taken it often, but I, I find myself really, it's, it's becoming one of my favorites, is to start with God. I like this bite because when it becomes ingrained as a habit, then you train yourself to cease making scripture about you. You know, the Bible is God's grand story of redemption through his son, Jesus Christ. So why do I keep looking for myself in its pages? It is useful to us. Don't get me wrong. Scripture is absolutely applicable. We do want to apply its truths to our lives. Paul even teaches that through his letter to Timothy when he says, As for you, continue in what you have learned, this is Paul to Timothy, and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So there's there's an application. And then verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So the truth of scripture equips us. It is profitable. It is useful to us. um, But we just need to start in the right place. Uh, Here we see that it is useful to us, but it's not about us. It's about Jesus. And remember what we said about John chapter 5, that it included um, some discussion that Jesus had uh, talking about witnesses that verify the authenticity of his divinity and role as Messiah. And I want you to hear what he says specifically here in John chapter 5 within the context of what we're studying this week. Uh, verse 37, the father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. Okay, so the father is one of the witnesses. His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you. (laughs) All right, now he's talking to religious people here. How offensive is that? And, you know, even as I'm reading it, it's it's a contrast to what Paul says to Timothy, right? Where it says that you have been acquainted with the sacred writing since childhood. It's obviously abiding in Timothy, but he's making the claim here that they've never heard from God and that his word doesn't abide in them, even though they've been studying the scriptures. I'm going to keep reading. For you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about me. So you see the father is one witness. The Holy Scripture is another witness. Verse 40. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. So what is Jesus saying here? Well, he's accusing his audience of Jews in the temple. And I'm assuming that this includes some of the teachers of scripture. He's accusing them of studying their Bibles all the Old Testament stories that point to Jesus and missing it completely. But what I'm trying to say is the scriptures that they study bear witness about him. And the only scripture they had at this time would be what we know as the Old Testament. Now, Jesus didn't say these scriptures are good for you because they tell you what to do and what not to do. 
but I've read them. Haven't you read the Old Testament or parts of it? Many of them absolutely tell you what to do and what not to do. Jesus's focus, though, was the fact that they bear witness about him. So if that's Jesus's focus, I think it should be ours as well. So, yes, let's start with God. And yes, acknowledge that they are profitable to train us, that these words of God will train us, will transform the way we think. But we have to start in the right place, in the very place that Jesus wants us to start, which is to recognize that they reveal him to us. So with that in mind, let's see what we learn about Jesus before we start personally relating to the woman at the well. So starting in verse 1, John chapter 4. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. So what do I learn about Jesus here? Let's start with God. Well, I learn that Jesus's followers were increasing and his ministry was gaining ground in both baptisms and attention from this religious ruling class. And without doing any other research, I think that we can infer from this statement of John when he says that he learned that the Pharisees had heard Jesus was growing in popularity, so he left Judea. I infer that he didn't want to stir up any conflict yet, because I've read the rest of the story. <laughs> but isn't this interesting to you? I think of the verse in Proverbs fifteen twenty three. It says, everyone enjoys a fitting reply. It is wonderful to say the right thing at the right time. So the right thing at the right time. It obviously wasn't the right time to pick a fight with the Pharisees. And so Jesus moved out of that area. Uh, another thing I learned about Jesus is that he himself did not baptize. Uh, I see Christ preparing his followers already. It's as if Jesus was beginning with the end in mind here. You know, we we know that he instructs his 11 remaining disciples to baptize after his resurrection in what's known as the Great Commission. It's recorded in Matthew chapter 28. Beginning in verse 18, it says, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus seems to be preparing these disciples for a work that would continue after he ascends to heaven. What else do I learn about Jesus? Well, he had to pass through Samaria. He had to? I mean, did he really? Was that the only way? Uh, A better way to say it might be he was compelled to pass through Samaria. Uh, You know, there's no uh, coincidences with God. This was a divine appointment for a divine purpose. Passing through Samaria gives us another insight into our Savior. Because strict Jews would avoid Samaria altogether to avoid defilement. Because Samaritans were a racially mixed group of partly Jewish, partly Gentile ancestry. And they were actually disdained by both Jews and non-Jews. 
So this becomes very revealing as to what concerned Christ as we continue reading our story and specifically how that contrasts with what concerned the religious elite of his day. Remember, when we start with God, we are looking at his character, his conduct, and his concerns. So what concerns Christ should concern us. And we should avoid falling into cultural traps that would lead us to be concerned with things he obviously wasn't concerned about. Uh, but that kind of jumps into application, which we'll get to in a minute. Uh, but for now, for now, let's just keep looking at what we can learn about Jesus. I see here that Jesus was weary, and so he sat and he rested. And I've had the opportunity to teach a class recently on Christology, which is just the study of Christ. These details are very important as we remember that Jesus was fully God and fully man. You know, this moment of rest by the well and the detail that he was weary from a long journey, this reminds us that he was, in fact, human. Jesus got physically tired, just like we do. And while it may just place him at the well for this moment in time, these details shouldn't be overlooked. They should be filed away in our minds as we think kind of more broadly about what Scripture teaches about Christ. I want you, um, as you continue to read John chapter 4, I want you to follow this same pattern as you read through and interact with this account on your own. I want you to observe what you learn about Jesus as you look deeply at his words, his actions, any aspect of his character that is revealed in the text. Uh, but for time's sake, this is going to be a longer episode anyway. Let's. I'm going to recap what is, what is getting ready to happen in this scene. Uh, Jesus encounters a woman at the well while he's resting. Neither one of them should be there. Jesus is a Jew. He shouldn't even be in Samaria. And the woman should be getting water earlier in the day when it isn't so hot with all the other women. But uh, there is uh, one is there on appointment and one is there hiding in shame. And if you read the interaction between Jesus and this woman, you, you see her move from sarcasm to intrigue and then on to great animation and excitement. I think she's pretty sarcastic all the way through the first part of the conversation. Jesus asks for water. She points out that he's a Jew and she's a Samaritan. And then Jesus suggests that he has living water to offer. And she retorts that he obviously doesn't have what he needs to get water uh, and implied It's kind of like a snarky because you just asked me to draw you a drink of water. (laughs) And then Jesus goes on to reply that the water he gives will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now I think she's still being a little salty. I envision a well by all means attitude. You know, when she says, give me this water so I won't be thirsty or ever even have to come to this well again. That's kind of how I envision her saying it. So this is when Jesus shocks her into intrigue. When he asks her to go get her husband and she admits that she doesn't have one and he lets her know that he knows that that's true and that she's had five and is currently living with the guy that she's with. And I want to stop here for just a second and point out this is an omniscient moment for Jesus. <laughs> Remember, Jesus is fully human. He gets weary. He sits down by a, a well, weary from his journey. And, and here he proves he's fully God. He is all-knowing. And he revealed this aspect of his being to her 
in this moment. It's such a beautiful picture right here in John chapter four. So she's intrigued and she suggests that maybe he's a prophet because he knows stuff that, <laughs> that, that no one else should know. Since he must be a prophet, she thought he might actually be able to answer like a major issue between the Samaritans and the Jews. And which was the question as to whether Yahweh should be worshipped in Jerusalem or on Mount Gerizim, which is right here in Samaria. And this was an ongoing discussion in those days. And Jesus confirms that they're kind of asking the wrong question because a new era was coming where it didn't matter where you worshipped. It mattered that what spirit dwelled within the worshipper. And then Jesus's deep explanation of worship triggers this thought that she had uh, that she kind of explored by saying this. I know that the Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, when he comes, he'll tell us all things. And what was Jesus's response? I who speak to you am he. Now, remember how I said at the top of the episode that I used the bite of compare and contrast. Well, this is where this fits in, because when I read John chapter four in context, It meant that I read the interaction between Jesus and Nicodemus right before I read the interaction between Jesus and the woman at the well. And I don't think it's a coincidence that John put these two scenes back to back. And I did use the bite of using an outside resource, and it pointed me to this bite of compare and contrast that I already had in my arsenal. Uh, In the Life Essentials Interactive Study Bible, Dr. Getz explains that John wanted to demonstrate that regardless of who we are, we need a savior. No matter what our gender and our social, ethical, religious, or moral standing, we must be born again to enter heaven. And isn't this a beautiful picture as you study it on your own and as you give me a little patience as we go along today? Consider the contrast between these two stories. Nicodemus was a Jew, whereas the woman was a Samaritan uh, with whom Jews would not socialize. Nicodemus was committed to keeping Mosaic law, whereas this woman of Samaria lived a life of immorality. Nicodemus was highly educated, whereas this woman was not, most likely. And honestly, neither were Jesus' disciples, for that matter, if you can see in other places in Scripture. Nicodemus was a man of high standing among his peers, whereas this woman was probably considered an outcast, considering her actions. And I guess what I'm trying to point out is finally an application for us, which is whether we put ourselves in the scene— as a Nicodemus or as a woman at the well or anywhere in between, the important thing, the thing of highest concern to Jesus was eternal life that is only available through him. You know, one of my favorite lines in the song is the bridge when Olivia Lane sings, it is no longer just a story when I read it because I've seen him for myself and I believe it. And interestingly, this same phenomenon happens in our scene with Jesus and the woman at the well, because as soon as she discovers he's the Messiah, she runs into town, excitement overshadowing any shame, and tells everyone who she just met. And some of them believe her story on the spot. They're so excited to learn more that they ask Jesus to stay. He did. He stayed and taught the people for two more days. And this is the kicker in verse 42. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. And this is my heart for you. That you would see Jesus for yourself you and believe in him unto salvation, yes, but also into growing and developing in him. 
I pray that you no longer just believe what I say or your favorite communicator or your pastor, but that you will dig into scripture for yourselves and encounter the Savior of the world. So what's next? Well, don't settle for a skimmed over recap of this encounter between Jesus and the woman at the well. Start in John 3, read through John 5, focus in on John chapter 4, 1 through 42. Start with what you can learn about Jesus through uncovering his character, his conduct, and his concerns, what he's like, what he says, what he does, and what he seems to value most. After you've started with Jesus, then you can compare yourself to the woman or even Nicodemus from the previous chapter and see how Jesus responds to you and what he expects from you. Now, while you're in God's Word this week, let me know what you're doing. Email me, michelle at michellekneezat.com. You can hop on Twitter or Instagram at michellekneezat or on Facebook. Michelle L. Nizat is my public page. And we can talk about what you're learning. I love to interact with you on social media. Now, More Than a Song is a proud member of the NRT Podcast Network, a network of podcasts associated with New Release Today. I hope you check out their resources at newreleasetoday.com. Now, I encourage you also to join the 30-Day Music Challenge. It's a challenge to listen exclusively to Christian music for 30 days. You're never too late to jump in. You just submit your name and email address at michellekneezat.com forward slash 30-Day Challenge, and I walk you right through, hold your hand day by day all the way through this challenge, and uh, I can't wait to hear how it works for you. Now, before I tell you what song will be featured next week, I want to thank my newest subscribers to my website like Mindy from Michigan and Brian from Florida. Welcome. Now, new subscribers to my website benefit from a one-page resource of my top five bites. So if you're new, I, I highly encourage you to subscribe, get that resource. It's super valuable. But as an ongoing subscriber, I conveniently drop my show notes and all links to all resources and even links to extra resources I create for my podcast from time to time right in your inbox every Monday. And I try really hard to value you, the relationship I have with you, and not overwhelm you with email. All right. And so all of that, by the way, is just my way of saying thank you for listening. So head over to michellekneezat.com to subscribe today. And if you have not had a chance to write a review for the podcast, I have a new tool. Just go to lovethepodcast.com forward slash more than a song. Of course, you can listen to the podcast directly on my website at michellekneezat.com, through iTunes or the Apple Podcast app, or you can follow on Spotify or through Stitcher Radio or your podcast listening app of choice. Well, that's it for this episode of More Than a Song. Next week, I will be using In Christ Alone uh, by Keith and Kristen Getty featuring Alison Krauss to jump into scripture. Now, it's been 20 years since this song was written, and I believe this significant anniversary is the perfect opportunity to feature it. If you liked this week's episode, however, would you mind sharing it with others? I've made it really easy. With just one click, you can share via Facebook, Twitter, or email. Just head over to michellekneezat.com forward slash 399. While you're there, I'd love to hear from you. Click on comment to join the conversation. Until next time, take time to meditate on God's word and consider his ways.